So we start this new sermon series. Pastor Jonathan sends his greetings. He is down in Florida today with a bunch of pastors, and they're in a meeting down there. And uh, so he sent uh, his greetings to you. And uh, I'm honored and blessed every time he gives me the opportunity to, to speak to you. And as, as Adam told you, we're starting this new sermon series called A Thrill of Hope. So over the next several weeks, we're going to be giving you messages on the subject of hope, and I'm starting our sermon series today with a message simply entitled Hope Revealed. And as you know, I like history, and I like to start uh, my messages with a story that sort of drives home our, our point of the day. And uh, as I was just doing some studying this week, I ran across the story of Corey Tinboom. Do you remember her? Uh, you'll find her story in a movie or a book called The Hiding Place wonderful story, but Corey Ten Boom, of course, was living in the days of World War II, and in 1944, her and her family, her sister Betsy, her father Casper, and many other members of their family, they had built out a little area where they were living uh, to hide Jewish refugees or people who were running from the Nazi regime. The Jewish people were, of course, uh, being exterminated by Hitler and his horrible Nazi regime, and so they were, they were providing refuge and shelter and escape for these Jewish people, and they eventually got caught. And so the Nazis arrested them, and uh, as the story goes, Corey and her sister Betsy would end up in a concentration camp for women called Ravensbrück. And as they were staying in Ravensbrook, one of the ladies in the dorm who somehow was able to do this, they smuggled in a Bible and they were having little Bible studies under candlelight every night. And Corey and her sister Betsy were, were teaching the Bible to these, these suffering ladies in this uh, concentration camp. And they led many of them to Christ. But of course, as it is with those concentration camps, the, 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 the situation was deplorable and, and it was cold and there was starvation and, 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 and Corey's sister Betsy fell ill. And didn't last long. On December 16th, 1944, Betsy passed away. But before she died, she offered these words of hope to Corey. And these are the words that struck me so hard. Listen to this. She said to her sister, Corey, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. Those words gave Corey the hope to carry on. And Miraculously, 12 days after her sister died, Corey was released from this uh, concentration camp just on a whim and later found out that it was because of a clerical error. Out of nowhere, she was released. And one week after she was released, every woman in that dorm, every woman in her age group was sent to the gas chambers and killed by the Nazis. God had spared the life of Corey Ten Boom, and she lived many years afterwards and had an incredible ministry to thousands upon thousands of people. But she never gave up on those words. There is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. You see, even in the midst of the worst of conditions, Corey and her sister Betsy never gave up hope. See, because hope is the life preserver for our souls when it seems that all is lost. But before we go any further, let's just define what hope is. Um, <clears throat> hope is a word we use a lot. We talk about hope, but there's different kinds of hope. I love the, 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 one of the church founding fathers, Tertullian, he, he used this as a definition for the word hope. He said, hope is patience with the lamp lit. I like that. And, and I kind of created my own little uh, 
2020 version of that. Uh, my definition of hope is, is simply this. Hope is the motel six of virtues. It always leaves the light on. You know, if you've ever been around somebody where the light went off in their soul and in their heart and in their mind, you know it. It's like there's an emptiness there. Maybe you're here today and the light just went out at some point. Maybe from abuse or a horrible upbringing or whatever it might be. Listen, if you're here today and the light is out, please listen closely. If you're here today and you're hopeless, I don't want you to miss a single word of this message because I believe that God has a word for you today. And one thing's for sure, we cannot live without hope. Now, there's really two kinds of hope, isn't there? There's, there's the simple kind of hope, the regular hope where we hope we get something for Christmas. You know, you might be uh, hoping that you get a certain gift from your husband. Maybe it's that, that trash compactor you always wanted for Valentine's Day or for Christmas, you know, Siri? So it could be something like that. Or maybe you're just looking for a special gift from your, 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 your mom or your dad for, for, you know, for Christmas or whatever it might be. Or, or maybe you're like me, you watch a lot of sports and you hope that your favorite team wins, right? Well, there's two different kinds of hope. There's regular hope, and then there's biblical hope. Now, regular hope desires for something good to happen in the future, but you're not sure if it actually will, right? It's sort of this uneducated uh, uh, expectation. It's kind of like when I watch the Dallas Cowboys play football, right? I just, I watch them and I, I'm a big fan. I was a fan of the Dallas Cowboys since nine months before I was born. And it's been a really, really rough 27 years. It's been very difficult. But I will tell you this, I, I, I watch their games and, 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 and I have this hope inside of me. But, you know, even in the fourth quarter, if we have a lead, the hope I have in my heart is, is shaky at best. Because I just know that we have this amazing ability to blow it in the end. And, and, and the sad truth is that, that, that a lot of us have that kind of hope. It's a regular kind of hope where you're not really sure what the outcome is going to be. And, and it, maybe it's not over something as silly as a little football game, but maybe it's in life itself. You, you really are simply hopeless. Well, if that's you, keep listening because there's another kind of hope. See, there's regular hope, but there's also Biblical hope. Now, the only difference between biblical hope and regular hope is this. See, biblical hope also desires for something good to happen in the future, but biblical hope expects it to happen. See, it's not an, un an uneducated expectation. It's an educated expectation based on the promises of God. And the promises of God are always fulfilled. It's the difference between me watching a Cowboys football game and recording a Cowboys football game. You see, here's the deal. I'm on the road a lot, as you know, and so when I'm on the road and I can't watch the football games, I tape it. Thank God for DVR. It's like the greatest invention ever besides air conditioning and maybe the wheel. And so it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing, and I get to tape the games. But here's what I do. I always get a little sneak peek on who won the game because if I see that the Cowboys lost the game, I'm not going to waste three hours of my life in this total misery, right? Why would I do that? So instead, I always get a little sneak peek of who won. And if they won, I go home, I make my popcorn, I get my Coke Zero, and I sit down and I watch every play. And I watch with joy and satisfaction, even when there's a turnover, even if something horrible takes place, I'm just like, <laughs> I don't care, because I know what happens in the end. In the end, we win. It's rare. But on those days, it's a wonderful thing. So my hope is no longer shaky, it's sure. And that's what biblical hope does for our hearts. Max Lucado put it this way. He said, biblical hope uh, 
is not wishful thinking. It is the unshakable confidence that God can be trusted. It's the belief that God is always at work for our good. It's the assurance that God's promises are true even while we wait for their fulfillment. Because our hope is certain, is certain we can wait patiently, not fretfully, trusting that God is always at work to provide the light we seek, the help we need, and the deliverance that we long for. See, this hope is thrilling because of the confidence and the salvation that it brings. It's not a false hope. This is a hope that is based on absolute truth. This is the kind of hope that only God can give us. Why? Well, because God keeps his promises. So I got two points for you today, just two. First is this, hope revealed in the promise of the Christ. The promise of the Christ. In the Bible, God makes many promises of things to come. They often come in the way of prophecies or, or uh, you know, foretellings told by his prophets. And there are 332 passages in the Old Testament that specifically are prophecies about the first coming of the Messiah. And many of these 332 are specifically about the birth of, his, of, of the Messiah. Take, for instance, just one of them, Isaiah chapter 7, 14. Verse 14 says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And this prophecy that took place in Isaiah chapter 7, 750 years before the birth of Christ, actually comes to fruition, comes to be in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. We'll skip over 18, 19, and 20, and let's get to verse 21, where the angel is talking to Joseph, and the angel says, and she, of course referring to the Virgin Mary, will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 7, 14. And then here's that verse right here in verse 23 of Matthew chapter 1. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated is God with us. And then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, you might read this passage and say, okay, now wait. The angel told Joseph to name him Jesus, but Isaiah said the name of the Messiah was going to be Emmanuel. Which one is it? Well, it's both. His name is Jesus. His position is Emmanuel. He's Jesus by name. He is Emmanuel by nature because he is God with us. We know him as Jesus, but we can call him God with us because that's exactly who he is. He is God incarnate, God in the flesh, God with us. God manifested himself in human form. So you wanna see what God looks like? Look at Jesus. Now there's three things I'd like for us to know today about God incarnate, God in the flesh, the incarnate God. When God became flesh, there's three things I want to teach you. First of all, the incarnation was not the beginning of Christ. A lot of people tend to just think that Jesus just sort of appeared out of nowhere 2,000 years ago in the form of a baby, but no, no, no. He's always been 
Jesus has always been. Jesus was there when God lit the sun and spoke into existence the worlds. When he said those four words, let there be light, that was Jesus who did that. He didn't just arrive out of nowhere. No, the Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh. He's always been creator, God, and king. There's no such thing as B.C., So he's reigned since the beginning of the beginning. And by the way, he's going to reign forevermore. One of my favorite passages in all the scriptures, Colossians chapter 1. Listen to this. He is the image of the invisible God. Now, if you have your Bibles open, you may want to take a pen and circle all the word all. Listen to this. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. That includes you, by the way. And he is before all things. And in him, all things consist. Everything. Nature. The universe. Your body. Your life. All of it. And he is the head of the body. The church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Folks, this passage is so very clear. God is Jesus. Jesus is creator. Jesus has always been. And Jesus is the stuff. All right? Maybe I could phrase that he is the mac daddy of them all. All right? There is no one higher, no one greater, nothing stronger. Jesus is it. So don't ever forget that Jesus is not just a baby in a manger. He's also creator and ruler and master, and he's the ultimate authority over all things. He's always been and always will be. He's always been king of kings, and he's always going to be Lord of lords. He is king, and he's been here from the beginning. Secondly, the incarnation fulfilled all the prophecies about Christ. I mentioned those 332 specific prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming of Christ. And last year, I did a little message to you on the song, O Holy Night. And in the midst of that message, I brought up this illustration from Peter Stone, a famous mathematician who did some calculations and figured out that if one person were to fulfill just eight of the 332 prophecies in the Old Testament... The probability of that would be 1 in 10 to the 17th power. That's a big number. It's a lot of zeros, all right? And, 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 and that number represents the, the probability of, say, if you were to take a silver dollar and cover the entire state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars and then put an X on one of those silver dollars, just one of them, and then blindfold you and give you one chance to find that silver dollar with that X on it, that would be the one and that would be the probability of fulfilling just eight of 332 prophecies about the coming Messiah. Just to put it in perspective, in 2018, there was a... Uh, there was a, a big jackpot in the lottery nationwide, the Mega Millions jackpot, and it was worth $1.6 billion, and somebody won that thing. I don't know who, but somebody won it with just a single ticket. Can you believe that? Or maybe it was a couple of tickets, and they split it a few ways. I can't remember. But all I know is, and don't raise your hand if you bought a ticket for that, by the way, but all I know is that the probabilities of winning that jackpot in 2018 was just 
one in 302,540,000, which is really pretty good compared to fulfilling eight of the 332 prophecies. But let's just take it one step deeper. Do you realize that the probability of somebody fulfilling 48 of the 332 prophecies, just 48 of the 332 prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah, the probabilities of one person doing that are one in 10 to the 57th power. That's that number right there. Oh, but folks, the Jesus we worship today, he didn't just fulfill eight. He didn't just fulfill 48. He fulfilled 332 out of 332. You know why? Because he wrote the book. He wrote the prophecies. He is the Messiah, and no one else, nothing else could ever be or ever will be. He's it. So the incarnation fulfilled all the prophecies about Christ. But number three, the incarnation is necessary for our salvation. Absolutely necessary. Salvation comes through Christ alone by way of the cross and his resurrection. None of us know why this is God's plan. None of us can figure out. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to us, right? I mean, here we have the, the land of Judea and all kinds of turmoil, and the last thing anybody would expect for a Messiah to come in the form of a baby. I mean, what? Everybody was looking for a, a military leader of some sort. And let's be honest. I mean, look at the world today. What a mess we're in. Do, do, would anybody at this time come up with this idea? Hey, you know what? I think the way to solve all this is to send a helpless baby into a peasant home, into an obscure little location, born from parents that nobody's ever heard of. Would any of us come up with that solution? No. But that's what God did. That was his solution. And it defies all wisdom from mankind. But his ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways, and his wisdom is greater than our wisdom. So Jesus removed his robes of royalty, purposely stepped away from the glory of heaven, where he was being attended by legions of angels, where he's sitting on this throne of splendor and majesty, where he was omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent, and, and he chose to confine himself for this period of time to flesh. And he humbled himself, and he became a person just like you and me. Philippians 2, 7, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. He willingly stepped away from his majestic throne and into our messy home. And what a mess it was. 400 years had gone by where no one had heard from God. God had gone silent. There were no prophets. There was nobody speaking the name of God. There was no wisdom coming from anybody on earth who were speaking the words of the Lord. It was just silent. And yet the world and silence and God not speaking through anyone or to anyone during that time, at the same time, the world was marching on. And there was lots happening. I mean, this was the period of time in those 400 years known as the intertestamental period, the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, where lots of world history took place. Place. I mean, Alexander the Great came to power at 19 years old, and he conquers the known world, and by the time he's 32, he's already dead, but wow, what a career. Short, but powerful, huh? 
And then there's the, the, the Ptolemy Empire in Egypt where Cleopatra finally comes to, come to power over, over winning over her brother. And, and then you, know, you, you have her relationship with Julius Caesar who then came to power in, in Rome. And then, of course, then after Julius Caesar is killed, then you have Mark Anthony and Augustus and, and, and their battles. And, and all this stuff is happening. And then finally in 27 BC, Augustus finds, finally comes to absolute power as the dictator over the Roman Empire. And up in the little corner of the Roman Empire, there's this little nan this little land named Judea, and it's being run by a vicious and horrible king called Herod the Great. And in the midst of all this, there's all kinds of skirmishes and uprising happening in Judea and all over the, the, the region of Israel. And in the midst of all this is when God decided this is the right time and the right place. This is when and where I will send my only begotten son, born to peasant parents and wrapped in cheap swaddling clothes. And he did this in just his way, in just his time. My, my friend Chris Rice, he wrote this song that just sums up the moment so well. And I, I thought about just reading you the lyrics, but I just feel like, it's, I feel like it's just stronger if I just sing it to you. So listen to these words. Tears are falling, hearts are breaking. How we need to hear from God. You've been promised. We've been waiting. Welcome, holy child. Welcome, holy child. I hope that you don't mind our manger. How I wish we would have known. But long awaited. Holy stranger, make yourself at home. Please make yourself at home. So bring your peace into our violence. Bid our hungry souls be filled. Word now breaking, heaven silence. Welcome to our world. Welcome to our world. Emmanuel was here. God was now with us. And he would grow and experience the highs and lows of everyday life, fully God, yet fully human. And that's what the promise of God and the promise of Christ brings to us. He's God with us, which means he's God who gets us. He understands our thoughts, our emotions, our temptations, our weaknesses. He, he walked in flesh just like you and me. It's like he leaped off his throne and jumped right into the midst of our mess. And I just have to ask you, is your life a mess this week? Is your life a mess? Is your heart mixed up? Is there an emptiness in your soul? Are you looking for hope? Are you looking for peace? But if your life is a mess, then consider the fact that God became fully human for the purpose of bringing you hope and me hope. In fact, here's a list I, I made of just a, a few ways in which Christ identifies with your mess. If, if you're feeling lonely here this morning, he's been there. If you're feeling rejected, Jesus was rejected too. Have you ever been ridiculed? So was he. If you've been heartbroken, Jesus was also several times. 
If you've been misunderstood, Jesus was misunderstood. If you've been betrayed, Jesus was betrayed by his closest friends, I might add. If you've ever been abandoned, so was Jesus. If you've ever been poor or, or weak or, or tempted or in pain or, or suffering, <laughs> Jesus isn't called the suffering savior for nothing. He, he's been through all of this, just like you. So he knows how you feel. He gets you. He really gets you. And he came because he wants to help you get out of your mess. He wants to give you hope. So he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is God who, who gets us. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. I love this verse. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, what an incredible Christmas gift for all of us. God is with us. So hope is revealed in the promise of the Christ. God is with us. Oh, but can I tell you one more thing? God is also for us. Hope is revealed in the power of the cross. Hope is revealed in the promise of the Christ, but it's also revealed in the power of the cross. Folks, we can rejoice over Christmas because it leads straight to the cross. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We just sang those words a few moments ago. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And then a few verses later, Paul reminds us, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And you see what the cross reveals to us is just how much God really does love us. He loves us so much that he came and he died for our mess. And nothing you do can diminish his love for you. That ought to encourage you this morning. John three sixteen. And 17 is the story of Christmas. And I'd like for you to read this with me, if you don't mind. Come on, let's read it out loud. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And the next verse is so important. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, that's what makes Christianity so incredible different than any other religion in the world. You see, every other religion involves mankind working to earn the respect or the admiration or the mercy or the salvation of their God. It's mankind that must make the sacrifice. Any hope of eternal happiness is based off of what we do in all the other religions of the world. So whether it be Islamic teaching of our good works outweighing our bad works to get us to Jannah or the Paradise Garden, or, or whether it's the Mormon teaching of, of getting married in the temple and having lots of kids to provide physical bodies for the spiritual bodies in the celestial kingdom and eventually living a good enough life to where you can become a god yourself. Or, or maybe it's the Buddhist idea that in order to reach a state of nirvana, after following the noble eightfold path, you finally get there. Or, or it, it doesn't matter what you want, you want to choose. Just pick any of them. Every one of them are based off of what you do, not what God has done for you, except 
Christianity. Christianity is the only religion in the world that's not really a religion at all. It's a relationship with the Savior of the world. And it's not based off of anything you can do to earn it. It's based completely and solely off of what Jesus did for you. You see the difference? (laughs) He placed our salvation on his shoulders, and he paid the ultimate price for our sins, a payment we owed, but a payment that he paid with his own blood, the blood of the cross, the sacrifice of the cross. And you can't earn this salvation like I just said. You can't buy this hope. You can't even lease it for a little while. It's permanent, but it only comes through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ where he conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. So fragile finger sent to heal us, tender brow prepared for thorn. Tiny heart whose blood would save us Unto us is born Unto us is born Philippians chapter 2 verse 8 And being found in appearance as a man He humbled himself and became obedient to death Even the death of the cross So what? What does any of this have to do with us today? Can I just say this? Everything, absolutely everything, because the cross is just as powerful and life-changing now as it's ever been. And you may find yourself in a desperate situation today, lost and in despair, hopeless, empty, looking for hope, looking for something to fill this emptiness in your soul. And you know what's interesting is that every one of us are born that way. Do you know that? We're all born in this pit of despair because we're all born sinners. We're all born lost and hopeless and in desperate need of a savior. And so people from all over the world will try all kinds of different religions or belief systems and, and maybe it's new age or maybe it's Islam or maybe it's whatever. And, 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 you, and you try to work yourself out of this pit, but the problem is the more you try to work yourself out, the deeper the pit seems to get. And then other things will come by, like the lure of, of, of wealth or, or riches, and, 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 you, and, and, they'll, and they'll tell you, you know, if you'll just work a little harder or make a little bit more money, and, 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 and you can eventually buy yourself out of the pit. And so you work hard, and you, and you find to have a little bit in savings, and maybe you make millions, millions upon millions, and yet you still find yourself in the bottom of the pit. And so you try something else, like relationships or, or sex or whatever it might be, and and, and you'd find that even relationships with the most wonderful people in the world can't save your soul. You're still there in the pit. And we have a tendency to drag people down in the pit with us, don't we? <laughs> and then other times, you, you know, you, you, you have other stuff like addictions, like, like drugs or prescription drugs or alcohol or whatever it might be, and you just keep trying it and trying it and trying it. And for a little while, it brings a little relief and then you sober up or you, you come down off the high and you realize you're still in the pit. You see, there's, there's only one way to get out of the pit. Only one way. And here's the best part about Jesus. He doesn't just come across the top of the pit and look down at you and see you and say, come on up. No, no, no. This is the difference. Jesus gets down into the pit with you. And he wraps his arms around you. And he says, come to me, I'll give you hope, I'll give you peace, I'll give you life, cast your cares upon me, 
because I care for you. There is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. See, God has always been with you. And always, always, God is always for you. So you need to remember that today. And you need to remember this too. There is no darkness dark enough where the light of Jesus can't illuminate your soul. And there is no distance far enough where God's loving arms can't reach around you and can't reach you. So wrap our injured flesh around you. Breathe our air and walk our sod. Rob our sin and make us holy. Perfect Son of God. Perfect Son of God. Welcome to our world. So hope is revealed in the promise of the Christ. Jesus jumped into our mess. Hope is revealed in the power of the cross. Jesus died for our mess. Let me give you one more. It's going to take me 30 seconds to tell you this, but we can't leave without you knowing. Hope revealed in the presence of his coming. Do you remember how I told you there was 332 prophecies about the first coming of Christ and the Messiah and how Jesus fulfilled every one of them? Well, did you know that there are literally 1,845 biblical prophecies about his second coming? Five to one, folks. For every one prophecy about the coming of Christ the first time, there's five more about him coming the second time. And if Jesus fulfilled all 332 prophecies about his first coming, then you better believe he's going to fulfill all 1,845 prophecies about his second coming. And that should give you hope today. That should give you biblical hope, hope that is unshakable, that is an unshakable confidence that one day he will take us out of this mess. Philippians 2 verse 9 Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Folks, that ought to give you hope that should last forever, eternal hope. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If you're here this morning and you're looking for hope, look no further than Jesus. If you're watching a home online or maybe you're in your place of business or whatever and you're watching the service, look no further than Jesus for eternal hope. In fact, right now, just bow your heads and ask him into your life. Just say something like this. Lord Jesus, give me hope. I need hope that only comes through you. Will you save my soul? Will you forgive me of my sins? I want to live for you the rest of my life. If you've made a prayer like that to the Lord, just call us, write us, pastor at trbsate.org. Do whatever you need to do. But we're here today to celebrate the hope that only Christ has, the only Christ can give us, that only we can have in and through the blessedness of Jesus. 
And I want to thank you for joining with us together today as we see what it is that God has done for us all. And today, if you've made a decision for Christ, or if you would like to talk further about what it is that God has done for you in the giving of His Son, Jesus, I would encourage you to email me at the address that is on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. We would love to connect with you to help you begin a brand new journey with Christ. If you would like to help contribute to our ministry as we take this message of the gospel around the world, go to the link on the screen today and help us help others with an amazing message of God's love.